I V M I V M Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and my guest today is among the oldest wealth management firms globally. I'll be talking with Ashish Gumasta of Julius Bear India, and we will be talking about everything from outlook for markets, what's happening in wealth management, trends, asset classes, all of that. Right after this short break. And welcome back, Ashish. Welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you, Anupam. It's an honor for me to be on this show and uh, to be hosted by you. So thank you so much for inviting me. Very kind of you. Thank you so much. So let's start. Tell us about Julius Bear globally and then Julius Bear India. I, I mean, you know, uh, globally, of course. I don't know whether I've got the pronunciation right because I'm pretty sure in German it sounds a little bit different. But Tell us about Julius Bear globally and its presence in India. So, uh, Anupam, Julius Bear is one of the oldest uh, private banks uh, in the world, and uh, in the global space of private banking, there's something called pure private banking. Uh, what pure private banking means is you have no conflict of interest; you are only representing the customer. So, it's one of the world's largest pure private banks. Uh, the history goes back to 130 years, and uh, subsequently, uh, uh, most of our shareholders are institutions, pension funds. And I'm given to understand that uh, it's over the longest history of dividend paying. So our basic uh, focus is on private banking uh, internationally and locally. And as you are aware now, the world is getting wealthier, the kind of money which has got printed. So we are uh, present across uh, almost uh, 25 plus countries. And India is one of the top five focus markets of Julius Bear. So that's uh, a very quick uh, perspective on the international side. Uh, in India, Julius Bear operates in uh, seven cities. And uh, we are in all the metros, plus we are looking for expanding uh, across India. Our primary focus is on, uh, like I said, on private banking. Uh, globally, we manage about $500 billion of assets. And uh, the whole, uh, whole idea is that in this complex world of wealth, how can you simplify things? And how can, uh, if you really see there are only three asset classes, you have debt, you have equity, and you have alternatives. How can you allocate assets properly? And how best can you manage that for your client? So that's yeah, broadly what Julius Bear is trying to do. And just for our listeners to understand, you know, because out here in India, the concept of private banking is a little bit different. Like, you know, you've got banks and then within that you've got banking service to say HNIs and family offices, which is called private banking, whereas I think globally it has a different connotation. So if you could just tell us, give us an idea of the kind of clients that you service, maybe that might be helpful for our listeners. No, uh, thank you for asking this question because uh, I think wealth management is uh, one of the most misunderstood uh, terms uh, across the world. So uh, there are three things uh, which we are trying to do. Uh, the first thing is manage wealth for the high net worth and the ultra high net worths and broadly uh, uh, it is a million dollar plus category, you know, so which is seven to 10 crores plus. So uh, that's our primary focus. As you are aware, uh, Indians, uh, uh, there's been a significant amount of wealth creation which has happened in India. So across industries, across businesses, a lot of wealth creation has happened. Uh, we have the tech industry, we have the pharma industry, Indian businesses have gone global. And uh, within uh, Indians today, you have global families. So most families you'll come across will have one part of the family living overseas, somebody living in India. Uh, we think this global private banking is a big opportunity where families are living across borders. They have wealth here. They have wealth internationally. So our uh, primary focus, what we are trying to do is manage wealth uh, for the high net worth and the ultra high net worth. That is uh, what we uh, really try and do. Uh, this uh, comprises of uh, three segments. 
Uh, first is managing money for them. Uh, as you are aware, in India, all resident Indians uh, can only invest in India and you can take $250,000 overseas. So the first part is managing wealth for you in India. And if you're looking at diversifying, then uh, investing for you overseas. Uh, the second part is uh, anything to do with the business. So we have multiple tie-ups in terms of trust, structuring, uh, lending. Uh, we have a NBFC, uh, which lends money. We have investment banking tie-ups. So any other financial related uh, challenges you know which a family faces uh, we try and work around it you know so this uh, if you really simply put it in uh, in the jargon is called uh, pure private banking and uh, uh, the licenses in india that you need for it is uh, basically uh, you have to have the licenses for advisory and you should have all the licenses for execution. So that's uh, simply put wealth management. Yeah, we've had a few wealth management firms on Pesa Pesa. We've had um, Entrust, okay. we have okay. had uh, Validus, and we have had Waterfield 3 that I can remember. Okay. So it's great to have one of the oldest players um, globally out here. So Ashish, let's talk about wealth management. You know, you just spoke about how in the last few years that bracket has increased, that cohort or whatever they call it these days have increased. How have the HNIs, ultra HNIs, family offices been doing um, broadly in the last four or five years when, of course, this big bump up has happened? And any key trends that you see in this area in these very volatile, I would say, six months or maybe, you know, since the equity market stopped out in October of last year, any trends that we can talk about about your clientele? So um, you mentioned the three uh, houses that you have interviewed, you know, so in a way we do a combination of all what the three of them do, you know, so it's uh, uh, it's an end-to-end uh, kind of a proposition. Uh, so Indian uh, high net worth or ultra high net worth has evolved uh, very, very significantly. So there are three key events uh, which has happened in India. Uh, number one, we've become global. So a lot of international players have come in and invested in Indian businesses. So Indian promoters have formed JVs, partnerships. They have sold businesses. That has been the first source of uh, wealth creation uh, uh, in India. Uh, the second big uh, source of wealth creation has been uh, asset prices, which have gone up. So real estate prices, which have gone up, et cetera, et cetera. That's been the uh, second uh, big uh, source of wealth creation. And third big source of wealth creation has been professionals. You know, So you suddenly have CEOs, CXOs, uh, the kind of wealth tech industry has created. Now, all this combined makes India a very, very uh, interesting proposition. Uh, if you remember in the 90s, we had a very high tax rate. We had a very simple tax regime. But that has changed uh, with uh, dividend laws changing, tax creating. And people have realized that financialization of wealth is very important because the biggest advantage that uh, private banking or wealth management really offers you is liquidity. You know, And a, a wealth management player, like to give you an anecdotal example, uh, I would say 80 to 90% uh, of our assets a client can raise cash within 72 hours. You know, So uh, what private banking industry offers you is liquidity and that is what promoters have realized. So in my view, there's major financialization of uh, wealth which is happening and which used to be unorganized is getting organized. So I think uh, this industry has just seen its early days and uh, uh, it's got a great uh, future ahead. Uh, people are understanding what is professional wealth management. And as we go along, I can talk to you more in detail uh, what families have been doing or what is it, uh, how are they thinking about it. You know? But uh, broadly, uh, the shift is unorganized to organized, uh, significant wealth coming in and people now wanting to seek uh, professional help in managing rather than having the traditional uh, a family accountant, I mean, or the trusted advisor managing money, they want to professionalize that service. Yeah, I, I can understand that because this probably was supposed to be in the domain of, say, Main Street banks, right? Because the bank is the most 
basic financial product and if i'm someone who's working for a large bank and i see that my client has got a sudden influx of money i would probably you know offer him or her some kind of service but obviously this is specialized which is why you've got very large significant book probably an iir kotak and the three you know that i i mentioned entrust validus waterfield and then of course there's julius bell so let's talk about that you know what are the services that make this area of wealth management so i don't know precise something that needs to be personalized to their clients so uh, if you uh, really ask me the business is very simple but to keep things simple in life uh, is not easy and uh, uh, i think the expertise of a global firm lies in uh, trying to flesh trying to simplify things uh, for people you know so uh, what we really try and do is uh, achieve three things for a client you know first is make sure you get the asset allocation right now uh, it sounds very simple but uh, human behavior is uh, you know we are homo sapiens right so we are uh, trained to react to uh, information and uh, typically uh, we do the opposite of what we are supposed to doing you know so uh, uh, like uh, like as we go and talk about products you know very often uh, things are very simple but we don't try to simplify things so the first key thing which as wealth managers we try and achieve is make sure that we are able to convince the client on the right asset allocation what is it that you should be in debt when is it that you should be in equity when is it that you should be in alternative which is the right mix which you have to take when is if you are taking too much risk in your business then you have got to be conservative on your portfolio if you are taking too much uh, if your business is doing well and it's uh, doing well then so the first key thing which we try and do is uh, asset allocation the second thing is family's objectives keep changing over a period of time you know so how do you keep the family aligned how do you take everybody together how do you make sure that you are able to uh, take the family around and actually uh, anupam it's a very boring business because you deal with three generations of people you meet the same client it's not like an investment banking that you have a new deal or a new business right so uh, you've got to keep sticking to it you've got to keep doing the right thing you know so the second thing is uh, are you disciplined and very often uh, i tell relationship managers it's not how many things you get right but how many mistakes you cut at some point of time so when you are doing 10 things and if you do two things wrong you've got to make sure that you correct that mistake quickly you know so the second part is following the discipline of this asset allocation implementing it for your thing and the third is doing the same thing consistently and making sure that you make your client's life operationally easy because today there's an information flood most of these clients are traveling they have work they have jobs so i mean this is the science which we try and do and uh, how do you simplify it or uh, you use technology to really do that but with a personal touch so uh, you'll be surprised but it's one of the most personalized uh, businesses uh, uh, which is here and uh, while technology is there we still believe that relationship managers and advisors play a very critical role so uh, the average tenure of our advisor would be 10 to 15 years so it takes a lot of time oh, to build this wow. business yeah it takes a lot of time to build trust and uh, uh, we would be managing uh, you know at, uh, we don't give country specific figures but uh, we are the largest uh, uh, foreign player in the country so uh, on an average every uh, the average size of the relationship is 10 to 15 million dollars plus at the same time it personalizes the tagline that we as a firm use is big enough to be small enough to be wow i like i aside from the ticket size of course which is very specific to wealth management i really like the two three things that you said simplicity asset allocation consistency because all of that actually applies to all of us in our own financial plans irrespective of whatever our um, you know that our net worth is or corpus is i believe asset allocation has a fairly large role to play in longer term returns of the portfolio right that's right that's right so for example if you see large caps today i mean uh, the largest you've seen the largest bank has announced a merger 
And if you see uh, the stock is down 30, 35%, you know, so if you look at anecdotally, sometimes simple things in life would do the right things. And uh, uh, in the last uh, three months, you had such a significant correction in the large caps. Uh, within yeah. telecom, the largest player is down 30%. So, I mean, like I told you that if you are able to allocate correctly, uh, make sure that we can get the right product mix. I think that makes a big difference. But the art in that is lies in convincing the client that like this is a year of preservation. As we go along products, uh, we'll talk about it. But this is a year of preservation. You had two years of great returns. This is a year you've got to try and preserve. So let's talk about that. Let's talk top down. What are the kind of assets or investments that you recommend to your clients? I'm pretty sure that equities is obviously one part of it. But what are the other, especially alternate assets that you re- recommend to your clients? Right. So uh, globally, this trend uh, started about uh, 10, 15 years ago. But alternatives now is a very, very big asset class. So just to, uh, I know you have a very sophisticated group of listeners, but just to, again, uh, simplify life for them in the world, you can only invest money in three asset classes. You can be in equity, you can be in fixed income, or you can be in alternatives. Alternatives includes real estate, commodities, and I'll share some of my personal views on real estate when we come, you know, on how we uh, see it. Uh, Within equities, you can have uh, uh, listed and unlisted. Within debt, you know, you can have across asset classes, and then you have alternatives as an asset class. Now, in India, alternatives was always a personal way of investing. Uh, You have a family friend who's starting a business, you would go and invest in him. Uh, some cousin of yours is starting a business, you would go and invest in him. So alternative investing as an asset class always existed in India. It's come in a structured form uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, the alternative asset class, again, uh, has a huge opportunity. The challenge, uh, again, Anupam, is that the investor should educate himself in this asset classes. Because very often what happens when you invest in the alternative asset class, there's an asset liability mismatch. Your tenure of investing and your tenure of exiting Uh, that uh, happens a challenge. So I'll go into the details of that. So uh, when we talk of alternatives in India, in the fixed income space, we have now invits and REITs, uh, which have come in. Investment trusts have come in and uh, real estate investment trusts have come in. I think uh, the real estate market is getting organized and there's a huge opportunity here. This is a great fixed income product, uh, uh, which is available uh, to our clients. But it's very important that the clients understand that there are mark-to-market risk uh, opportunities here. These are real estate assets, which in turn invest in rentals. And rentals agreements are done for five, 10-year periods. So when you are in the alternative uh, asset class, in my view, you should take a longer-term approach to investing rather than a short. Uh, Equities, listed equities, offer you the biggest advantage of liquidity. Within 24 hours or within 48 hours, the money comes to you. Same happens with debt. But when you're in the alternative asset class, I think you have to marry the risk return uh, timeframe. So the spaces which we are looking at is within equities, we have private equity funds, we have venture capital funds, uh, ESG is a new emerging theme, uh, uh, which I think will grow uh, in the coming years. Within fixed income, you have investment trusts, you have real estate trusts, uh, which are really coming in. And and I see commodity funds, uh, real estate funds again, coming in this space. So if you really ask me, uh, alternatives in India was an unorganized uh, space, but uh, it will get organized over a period of time. Uh, alternatives had seen uh, very inflated valuations. I think uh, that is something which will correct. And every client should have alternatives uh, as an asset class. Uh, in India, we don't re- recommend crypto. Uh, but in Switzerland, uh, we are invested in Ziba Bank, which is a uh, government-promoted crypto bank. And we tell clients that they should have 1% to 2% of their assets in 
crypto again. So alternatives as an asset class should be a part of your portfolio. But like uh, when you make food, dal, you, you know, you put masala. So it should, uh, it should be the form of a masala or a joke. It should not become majority part of your portfolio. So right now uh, we recommend 8 to 10% in alternatives as an asset class of the, for a standard portfolio. Of course, there are, we have private equity investors who have 70% in alternative asset classes for, but for a general client, uh, uh, broadly, we are between 45 and 50 percent equity, 40 to 45 percent debt, and the balance and alternatives. You know, that's the way yeah. we are seeing the space. But it will be a very exci- exciting space. I think there's a big opportunity there in India. Yeah, yeah. So just before we go into a break, Ashish, I want to ask you this one question because the last couple of years has seen, and I use the word that I hear more often, democratization of this alternate mm-hmm. asset space for you know people of the retail class, whereas the alternate mm-hmm. assets that you're talking about okay other than reits and invits because those are also available to the retail yeah. investor also but if i look at startup investing okay if i look at private debt okay a lot of startups have come up in this space saying that we can offer you the same services that wealth managers give to hnis and we can give that to you as part of democratization of the space their logic right. being that what separates you know what they do from us whereas you are giving your service to a client who's got a portfolio of 10 crores. These guys are probably giving it to someone who has a portfolio of, I don't know, 1 lakh maybe. What do you think about this new, you know, it's still very small, but it gets a lot of noise, a lot of publicity on social media. You know, they'll take private debt where um, you could own an asset or you can lease an asset or um, in real estate, you could even, you know, you have certain structures out there. Any views on that? Uh, So I think that's the beauty of what technology has done. And I think that's the greatest gift of technology. Uh, but the challenge that I see is uh, invariably the retail investor uh, lands up losing uh, money. Because uh, if you see the world of private equity or unlisted, typically the best deals go to the biggest players. Then uh, if they refuse, then you go to the next, then you go to the next, then you go to the next. So my uh, advice uh, to the retail investor would be that uh, we have a great regulator. Uh, he has done tremendous uh, service to us in terms of regulations. Uh, in terms of fee structures, you know, uh, I, I feel we have the most progressive uh, bank. I mean, when I talk to my colleagues in Zurich, they have very high regard for uh, Reserve Bank of India. I think we have a great regulator. And please do simple things. Uh, so what really worries me is uh, when I watch IPL and the ads which come, you know, it's all quick money, just transact anywhere. Actually, investing is a very boring business. The lesser you do, the more money you make, you know, like... Uh, uh, since I'm a wealth manager, it's, I've been 28 years with Julius Baer. Uh, the way I test myself is that uh, I should be able to create wealth for myself, right? And I would not even be spending half a percent of my time on my own portfolio. But on a post-tax basis, I think that compounds more than my salary income from Julius Baer. You know? So my advice to the retail investor would be to keep things simple, not to get uh, carried away. And uh, we have a great regulator. We have great uh, institutions like mutual funds, which have got formed. Uh, and to stick to that, you know. But uh, as time evolves, uh, more instruments will be available, more tools will be available. Uh, what what a retail investor or what any investor has to understand that in the startup world, the casualty rate is 95 to 99%, you know. So when you're building your wealth, you don't want to, you know, have that level of casualty, right? I mean, it is, uh, I would say, not like lottery buying, but it is the highest degree of risk which you can take. So when you have reached a certain stage of wealth, you say, okay, that's the reason I said even today, when we deal with ultra high net worth, we tell them that, look, look at 5 or 10%, because if you get this right, uh, the delta is very higher. So my, uh, I'm not qualified, I'm not capable, but 
with my gray hair or 52 years of age my advice to the retail investor would be keep things simple we have a great regulator we have democratized things and stick to simple listed products where uh, there is oversight you know that that's my current uh, having said it i think we are in some uh, we are in some headwinds right now so in the current time itself i would say uh, it would make sense to be uh, cautious but great. as we go along i'm sure uh, regu- rules will evolve regulations will evolve uh, private equity opportunities will be available to uh, investors so uh, i would treat this with a great deal of caution anupam my, my suggestion yeah. would be to treat this with a, lo- a lot of caution there you go folks valuable advice treat with a lot of caution keep things simple look at the listed space and we've got a great regulator who will take care of your interest for a regular so on that note we'll take a break and we'll be right back on this really special episode of paisa paisa and welcome back folks to this episode of paisa paisa my guest ashish kumarsha julius bear ashish on this second part of the episode let's talk about outlook across the asset classes that julius bear recommends to its clients in india and let's start with equity markets you gave some you know some mention about how large caps have fallen significantly so let's talk about in depth your outlook for equity markets in india so um, i'll try and simplify things you know so that uh, while we have a very very intelligent audience which is very smart but i'll try and uh, put things in simple perspective so we have three or four key trends uh, which are across the world and questions which each one of us are asking and i'll talk to you a bit about this correction which has happened so the first is inflation right and uh, it is here to stay uh, we've had low interest rates a lot of money has got printed countries have printed money and it's in the system so whether it will be inflation stagflation is what uh, we will all question and debate but the fact is that this is the first thing uh, which is here to stay and in such a scenario equities is the best bet uh, you know an equities and probably real estate is the best bet so i think uh, as an at- asset class that's the first thing uh, which we've got to look at the second thing is that uh, the us dollar has had its supremacy for a very long period of time uh, but uh, i think there is a effort you know to find alternatives to that by uh, investors globally uh, the recent uh, swift code freezing uh, in the case of the uh, russian crisis so i think uh, uh, people are looking at alternatives uh, alternative currencies and india portrays a great uh, picture to the world you know uh, we are a stable uh, democracy uh, we have robust systems we have capital markets we have good reserves so i think uh, the second key trend is uh that the world is looking at globalizing uh they are looking at uh, alternatives to china they are looking at alternatives and i think that's the uh, uh, opportunity for us you know so that again uh, the easiest way to capture uh, that is uh, and, and you've seen government do a series of reforms pli uh, uh the production linked incentive scheme uh, uh, we've had a host of corporate tax today is uh, probably the lowest uh, uh, in the world so uh, with all these things i think uh, we will be a, a destination to uh, attract capital you know the the third part is with the supply chain mismatches and uh, especially oil i think uh, that is a part which we uh, really need to uh, watch out for so when you take uh, uh, equities in in the big picture uh, the the situation looks positive uh, at the same time there are a series of headwinds so the first thing we as investors have to do is moderate our expectations from uh, the equity markets so the second thing is uh, we've got to uh, understand the big picture i think we've crossed uh, the threshold our gdp has cost 300 3 trillion you know and uh, 
we've seen like anupam if you go to a hotel today it's difficult to find a table if you go to the airline uh, you don't get a ticket so i think as an economy uh, we have arrived you know and rather than looking at too much information or too much data i think this agri prices which have gone up will benefit the rural economy so the sum and substance is that uh, what is happening in the world i think is going to uh, benefit us uh, uh, as a country so uh, in terms of uh, geopolitics uh, in terms of supply chain uh, in terms of uh, our positioning um, uh, uh, as a uh, favored in, in destination i think a lot of the picture uh, falls into uh, place uh, for us you know so Uh, if i'm an investor uh, i would still uh, be overweight equity having said it the next 3 to 6 months what's going to happen neither i know nor i mean you know maybe the most powerful guys in the world would also not know because uh, you have a russia ukraine war you re- keep reading about taiwan china so i think whenever these kind of crises come up these are opportunities to invest you know so my two simple bits to the uh, investor would be the day you think things are worse the day you feel you know and and that's the way i personally trade myself that whenever i feel very low or things are going wrong that is a time to invest in equity so i think the coming uh, few months will uh, uh, give us a good opportunity uh, to look at equity uh, so just to summarize china plus 1 pli i think uh, with this crisis the world will outsource more and more uh, to india uh, we've done our banks are now in a much better position uh, than where we are uh, whatever reforms we've done we've done rera we've done x y z i think all that will come in uh, we are politically strong uh, the ruling party seems to be doing well uh, we have an election in 2 years and politically we look like a stable uh, situation so i think keeping net net uh, all this in mind uh, we would be positive long term uh, equity and short term uh, cautious because of all these global factors uh, anything can happen uh, stocks can correct so use these opportunities to uh, build an asset allocation my advice to the clients would be and and if you have long term money whatever money you have 3 to 5 years i think 40 to 60 40 to 50% one can look at in equity sure let's talk about the debt market in this environment of rising rates rising inflation or at least high inflation what's your view there yeah so anupam you would have read about the modern uh, monetary theory right where uh, governments uh, will allow capitalism but uh, they will control capitalism you know so uh, across the world you have inflation which is coming in but the governments uh, want to keep interest rates under control because the the general view which is coming is that this is a supply chain mismatch this is due to extenuating factors and by raising interest rates you will actually kill demand and you will not achieve anything so it's a very very tough time um, uh, for a private banker or a wealth manager like julius bear or anybody to give you a view on this but uh, what common sense shows me that today government bonds itself are trading close to 6 to 7% you know so if you are in 3 to 5 year maturity i think our 10 year has crossed 7% you know i mean uh, logically my advice to the investor would be be very cautious stay in triple a assets and be in the 3 to 5 year uh, maturity uh, if you are a sophisticated investor and you have access and you have understanding of uh, credit markets then of course credit markets uh, give you a 2 to 300 400% higher return but uh, to the investor who doesn't want stress who doesn't want tension i mean my advice would be uh, interest rates now look interesting uh, we don't know where uh, it would go but it's very clearly that uh, inflation is here to stay it is going to have an impact with us at the same time governments recognize that if interest go too much it could be detrimental to the economy you know so broadly 3 uh, to 5 year maturity Uh, be conservative uh, you know and uh, 
don't invest where you don't understand like you know is my advice you know hands to the investor yeah and coming into some place where a lot of people don't understand real estate and that, that's a fairly big right. chunk of hni investment right so what's your view there because real estate um, on the residential side of course people say that you know that there's rental yield is 2% home loans are at 7% so forget it so if you let's not look at that part but the advice that you give on real estate as an asset you know to the fairly large yeah. chunk of hni investment what's your view out there okay so i'll break it into two parts uh, first is as julius bear and then my personal because you know we don't cover this entire spectrum so uh, i would caution investors that part of it my personal opinion please don't take it seriously i'm not that smart you know i'm a professional working in the company for 28 years so take it with a pinch of salt and use your own judgment so as a sector we have positive on real estate we think it's an asset class uh, uh, one should be in uh, i think uh, uh, again common sense approach all the data is out in public look at what the government is rolling out in pli the kind of manufacturing which is getting set up now all this is going to need housing space etc etc here you know if you just if someone just drills down on the kind of capex which is coming in the kind of pli investment which is coming into india that itself will show you the scale of opportunity which is coming in the second is the it sector the whole world is going to outsource to india as global companies cut costs again that outsourcing is going to come to india but uh, this time it's going to be different it's not going to come to the top two or two three cities where you have 30 40 50 60 000 rupees a square feet rent you know because people have realized that if you are in a coimbatore you can work as well as you can work in bangalore you know so or if you are in uh, you know uh, maybe outskirts of pune Uh, it is better than being in pune so i think uh, as an asset class uh, real estate uh, in india should do well but again uh, one should expect moderate returns what has happened anupam in real estate is that a lot of investors have got out see we have gst and then we have stamp duty that combined is 11% so a lot of investors and with lower rental yield so actually it's a, the market has uh, become quite transparent with only users coming in you know and uh, if you know that real estate is a great hedge for inflation so what has happened in the last couple of months is that input costs have gone up very very sharply for real estate company steel has gone up cement has gone up uh, etc and uh, i think that will have a bit of an impact but just before i get into it uh, what what we've seen our real estate ultra high net worth do in real estate so we've seen them buy a lot of land so they bought a lot of land uh, we've seen uh, ultra high net worths buy uh, high net worths buy uh, second homes and we've seen everybody upgrade their lifestyle so a two bedroom guy wants to go into a three bedroom a three bedroom guy wants to go into a four bedroom so i think all this will lead to a lot of uh, investment led uh, demand in real estate two cities where a lot of premium have got paid which is bombay and pune we'll have to be a cautious if you see public data most state governments now anupam will raise money by selling fsi or selling premium rights etc because is the easiest way uh, the whole chinese economy grew on Uh, every state or cantonment selling uh, real estate you know so i think bombay and pune may see some ex- excess supply but bangalore chennai ncr i think uh, uh, these are very very uh, interesting place so uh, some in substance uh, it's an asset class you should be in having said it uh, registrations and all have fallen this month you know so there may be a bit of correction these are my personal views please take it with a pinch of salt Uh, we do look at real estate but through uh, asset managers so we give money to fund managers asset managers who in turn have uh, real estate products you know so i think asset class uh, we are uh, we are positive you know and uh, uh, more and more transparency is coming into the industry consolidation of wealth is coming into it uh, for the equity market investors uh, one of the ways of uh, 
taking advantage of that is buying ancillaries, the tile suppliers, you know, those who supply to real. So while real, you can buy real estate companies, but their cycle is very long. But the suppliers, the ancillary suppliers to the real estate, uh, uh, our research is in fact recommending the ancillary suppliers to the real estate industry. You know? So that that's broadly, uh, uh, you know, part of Julius Baer and part of my personal opinion on uh, sure. Sure. Ajay, let's wind up this episode with the alternatives as a category and within that probably you know a fairly hot area in india for the last couple of years investment opportunities outside of india what's what's julius bear's views on that right so uh in alternatives uh, i think uh gold and silver still continue to be a hedge uh against currency so with so much print money getting printed uh uh with so much uh of uh you know of uh capital uh, uh, being uh, uh, every country has gone and printed i think uh, as an insurance uh, one can still look at gold and silver uh, in india we don't uh, recommend crypto uh, we don't advise clients but globally uh, we are saying that look buy a basket of 1 to 2% depending uh, on their comfort you know and uh, uh, alternatives as an asset class should definitely uh, form a part of your portfolio uh, you should look at invits you should look at reits uh, you should look at private equity funds but please have a 5 to 10 year outlook on it and please spend some time understanding this space because uh, this is a space which is evolving whenever something is new uh, you have to spend time like on nfts i still spend time reading about it you know i mean so uh, i think this is an asset class here to stay uh, like i said globally we are telling clients to have this as up to 10% in their portfolio depending on their risk appetite but uh, uh, again please don't borrow money to put in this asset class is my personal advice and secondly have a longer term outlook when you get into this asset class because uh, uh, we may have some challenges uh, uh, in terms of in the, the the headwinds are there you know so i mean th- that's my outlook going to your last question on international investing uh, we've seen that uh, uh, for resident indians there is a liberalized remittance scheme and uh, the outflows for that uh, the investments through that are growing up every year uh, i think uh, it offers a great diversification opportunity for indians uh, overseas and uh, we should definitely be looking at uh, every family uh, should look at uh, uh, diversifying overseas uh, through these uh, uh, opportunities again uh, keep your life simple uh, understand the product which you are getting into please don't forget the world has only three or four asset classes you know so uh, please don't do something which is very very sophisticated but the world but the world gives you a very simple opportunity like you have businesses uh, you have great businesses uh, which are available there now at good valuation so even as julius bear we brought in two of our global funds into india so they are available uh, through the wrapper we've taken a wrapper of birla mutual fund and under that uh, we have two of our best global uh, products which are available uh, and i think it is an asset class which should definitely form a, a part of your portfolio 5 10 15% because uh, again depending on your net worth and the size uh, of uh, portfolio uh, my advice would not to you would not to be doing contra investing like uh, just because china has corrected you invest in it you invest in it at the right time you know when the economy is doing well the cycle turns so i think the world uh, gives a good space uh, uh, sir available at fairly good valuations internationally and i think uh, uh, we'll have a plethora of products coming there again please be cautious uh, in what you're doing the indian mutual fund industry again offers you that option so try and keep uh, things simple Yeah so just on that note since we are closing now if you could just tell our listeners a specific Julius Bear product that you're offering through Aditya Billa Sun Life I think you're talking about the Global Excellence Fund of Funds or what 
is yeah that's right. because that's i right. think those those are products where the retail investor can actually invest in your products via the fund of fund so what are those products that's right so we have two funds we have the next generation fund uh, these are businesses of the future the best of uh, uh pharmaceutical companies the tech companies great uh, equipment manufacturers medical facilities and then the global excellence fund which offer you some of the best global businesses now a lot of innovation happens outside india and these businesses and companies we don't have access to but uh, as i understand anupam that uh, there is an rbi limit permission which is required overall for the mutual fund industry so uh, to the best of my knowledge that has not come but the moment that comes yet, both yeah. both these so the, so one is called the next generation fund the second is called the global excellence fund and both these funds we think uh, are great opportunities uh, most of these businesses replicas don't exist in india so you are actually generally uh, diversifying your wealth again uh, like i said the next couple of months there are headwinds so please invest cautiously please invest systematically and uh, uh, too much of reading or too much of don't every day check the nav because when you buy a real estate you forget your house for 5 years and that's when you see appreciation in the capital markets the problem is you buy today and then next day you start seeing your nav you know so uh, <laughs> and of course please do consult a financial advisor uh, julius bear would be a great place to come and take advice from but uh, that that's broadly my views on Yeah, folks. So remember, consult your financial advisor. These are slightly evolved products: the Global Excellence Equity Fund or the Next Generation. These are fund of funds. They have a tax impact. Consult your financial advisor before taking any investment decision. And on that note, of very very good advice, I would say from Ashish. That is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Ashish Kumarstar of Julius Bear India. Ashish, really, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you Anupam. I'm very grateful that you gave us an opportunity to come and speak to your listener. Thank you very much. Please come by again. You're always welcome on Pesa Pesa. And folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Pesa Pesa. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM Network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host Anupam Gupta B50 on Twitter and thank you folks. Really, thank you so much for listening to Pesa Pesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.